Hey, it's Dr. Mike T. Nelson here again with not just another fitness podcast for fitness geeks only. And this week on the podcast here, we are going to talk about the probably kind of controversial term of a fasted cardio, which I'm sure if you've been around in the fitness realm for a while, you've heard this term, and we're going to discuss, is there a use for it? Uh, What is my biased opinion about it, which is probably going to go a little bit against, I'd say, what is kind of currently popular, although that changes a lot, and why I think that way. So for a background, you know, where did this kind of fasted cardio become popular. And again, the concepts have been around for a long time, but I would say that it became more popular by uh, Bill Phillips from the kind of body for, for life. If you're old enough to remember that, he was a very big advocate of doing fasted cardio for fat loss. And we've seen just in uh, physique preparation, bodybuilders, doing fasted cardio has been pretty popular for quite some time. And then starting around maybe five-ish years ago, the kind of backlash against fasted cardio started. Uh, There was a study, which we will discuss, from Dr. Brad Schoenfeld, showing that There wasn't really any difference for body composition by doing fasted cardio. So that started the trend of, you know, cardio doesn't matter as much as we thought because you're not really burning that many calories. You need to focus more on weight training only. Don't waste your time doing fasted cardio. Doesn't really add up to anything. There's no real benefits with it. And again, that's the extreme version going from one end to the next. And of course, with something as dynamic as human physiology, can you find people who got just really shredded and very lean without doing much cardio? Absolutely. Uh, Even if we throw drugs aside, can you find people who did that? Absolutely. Does that mean that it is the best way for everyone? Not necessarily, because it's easy to find outliers, right? As humans, we are just attracted to things that look funny, things that don't match what the normal average is. Those things are going to stand out. Our brain is going to be attracted to them. So we are kind of drawn to the outliers themselves. So the definition of, let's say, fasted versus non-fasted cardio. Like, what are we actually talking about here? So for our definition here, we're going to use a period of time where you have not eaten before you have done some cardiovascular exercise. So by cardiovascular exercise here, we're talking about just classic cardio. That could be walking or running. That could be riding your bike, cross-country skiing, rowing, versa climber. Those are kind of your five options. Again, if you're an elite swimmer, maybe swimming. Most people just aren't efficient enough to elicit a VO2 max with swimming. So those are your options for cardio. 
And of course, we've got variations thrown in there of elliptical and step meal and all these other kind of bastardized versions uh, of them. And the fasting period beforehand is where some of the research gets to be kind of messy because that is also variable. We could have just the standard morning fasted cardio session, which is very popular with uh, bodybuilders and fitness competitors somewhat. And that just says that, hey, you get up in the morning, don't consume anything, and then go do your cardio. Other people have said, well, maybe you're going to break down a little too much protein and you can have a little bit of protein beforehand because that doesn't have an insulin response and that's still kind of considered fasted cardio. I would say maybe we're not really going to worry much about that uh, right now. There is a little bit of data showing that small amounts of protein probably don't change acute fuel usage that much, meaning if you have a little bit of protein before you do cardio, I don't think it makes all that difference. I'm in the process of doing another N equals one testing with my metabolic cart to see, you know, how much protein do you really need to have before you change that sort of fuel usage spectrum on that. When we look at research now, there's some interesting studies that have used longer periods of fasting in addition to just overnight fasting. So in the physiology sense, what's actually going on between fed versus non-fed or kind of your fasted versus non-fasted cardio. So when you're fasting, your insulin levels are generally going to go down. And as insulin goes down, all other things being equal, that's going to push your body to use more fats as a fuel source, right? A la metabolic flexibility. I consume three Pop-Tarts. My body puts out a whole bunch of insulin, and that's going to push me on the other end of the spectrum to use carbohydrates as fuel. Higher levels of insulin push your body to use more carbohydrates as fuel. When you get up first thing in the morning, your body has had to maintain adequate glucose in the bloodstream overnight. Unless you did too much Ambien and started making meals at 3 in the morning that you don't remember, Yes, I actually talked to people where that's actually happened. They got up in the morning. They're like, who was cooking in my kitchen and made this complete mess? And later they realized it was, it was them and they had no recollection of it. Uh, but outside of that, you're going to be fasting overnight. When you're fasting, as we mentioned, insulin is going to go down. It's going to push your body to use more fat as a fuel. But we also need to maintain levels of blood glucose. So your liver, which has stored glucose in the form of glycogen, right, can be stored in the liver and can be stored in the muscles as glycogen. So liver glycogen is slowly going to go down overnight because your liver is putting out tiny amounts of glucose into the bloodstream to keep that nice and stable. So when you get up in the morning and you're doing fasted cardio after just an overnight fast, it is true that liver glycogen levels are going to be quite a bit lower. Muscle glycogen, however, is going to be about the same. So muscle glycogen only really gets tapped from muscular work, so some type of activity. If you did a 24-hour fast and you just did not move around a whole lot, and especially if you did not do any 
higher intensity exercise, it's a surprise to most people that muscle glycogen is going to be pretty good. It's not really going to be depleted. So short-term fasting, muscle glycogen is primarily depleted or used up by higher amounts of muscular work that are done. And since you are fasted first thing in the morning, the insulin levels are going to be lower. So do we have any data then showing that the change in fuel usage is what we would expect? There's an older study from uh, Dr. George Brooks's lab. Uh, the primary author is Zinker, Z-I-N-K-E-R. And it looked at what happened after a 36-hour fast in terms of different substrates. So all these different fuels that are potentially used. So what they did is they did this long fast. They did it in seven trained men. They put them on a bike their cycle ergometer and did them exhaustion. So they just rode as hard as they could at 50% of their VO2 max. And they did this in an overnight fasted state after completing a 36 hour fast. So kind of a brutal exercise, but notice the exercise intensity was only 50% of their VO2 max. And then they looked to see, you know, what's going on with all this stuff. Uh, they did see that the exercise performance compared to non-fasted state was a little bit less. Um, in the fasted trial, they did see free fatty acids were increased. They did see glucose was decreased. And they saw these other markers. Uh, primarily one of them is glycerol. So glycerol is part of a triglyceride. A triglyceride is a glycerol backbone with three fats stuck to it. So the first step in your body to use fat as a fuel has to break this triglyceride down into its components, or what's called free fatty acids plus glycerol. And when you do that, you can do a blood test and look at how much glycerol is floating around in the bloodstream. If you find a lot of glycerol over baseline floating around in the bloodstream, you know that free fatty acids have been increased because of the lipolysis, the breaking down of that triglyceride into its components. Um, so what they saw here is that they said, in conclusion, a 36-hour fast significantly altered substate utilization at rest and throughout exercise to exhaustion. Uh, glucose levels did not appear to be the single determinant of time to exhaustion in the submax exercise, meaning that glucose was not a rate-limiting step. Again, this is at 50% of VO2 max, so this is not at high intensity. This is at a low to moderate intensity. They also concluded that despite the apparent sparing of carbohydrate utilization with a 36-hour fast, endurance performance was significantly decreased. Again, if we start pushing up higher and higher intensity, right, our fuel is going to be carbohydrates. So we would expect that pure exercise performance may actually be different. Uh, here's another one. Uh, we'll do just uh, two more here. Uh, fat oxidation at rest and during exercise in male monozygotic twins. 
So I thought this was a super interesting study because uh, one of the questions then is, which we'll get into coming up this week, uh, are there differences in how your body uses fat? And yes, there are. So we'll talk about that coming up. Uh, but this was a very interesting twin study. Uh, Kaprinen was the main author here. And this is from January 2019. And what they did is they looked at different hereditary factors, uh, leisure time, physical activity, just kind of how much they move around, and resting fat oxidation, and then also peak fat oxidation during cycle ergometry. So just pedaling a bike. They had 23 male twin pairs, so pretty good number for a twin study. And they used what's called indirect calorimetry or a metabolic heart to look at these different things. All right, so metabolic heart, you've probably seen pictures of a max exercise test. Breathe into this little tube and it will measure how much fat and how much carbohydrates are being used at that time. So my research at the University of Minnesota was doing, oh man, probably have done hundreds of metabolic heart tests because I was actually running the lab for undergrads to practice for the seven years I was there. So I was in the lab there for about four years doing that in addition to my own research. Um, so if we just kind of skip ahead, what did they find? Uh, they said that hereditary factors were most important. They were actually even more important than physical activity for determining fat oxidation at rest and even during exercise. Um, which was this interesting. And the other part too was that peak fat oxidation, actually not resting fat oxidation, was associated with better metabolic health. So if we measure someone at rest, like how much fat they're using, my argument is that that may be a marker for health. A probably even better marker, according to this study, and I would agree, is if we stress that individual to some degree, and look at what they're using as a main fuel, that that's gonna give us some other additional information, right? A la metabolic flexibility. We want to be able to use fat at rest. We wanna get as high a level of fat use as we can, especially correlated exercise intensity, uh, but we don't want to impair the ultra high end carbohydrate metabolism either. So in this study, when they're looking at twins, they found that the peak fat oxidation during uh, exercise was also associated with better metabolic health. So the takeaway from this is that yes, your genetics do matter to some degree. Um, however, we know that peak fat oxidation is a trainable quality. So you can increase that also. And at the end of the day, from a practical standpoint, we know that Genetics right now can't really be changed. So they are kind of fixed. So this week we're going to talk about why fasted versus fed cardio, I believe, is better. Today we talked about what are the definitions of them and do we see any difference in research when someone is fasted uh, doing cardio. The answer is yes, we do see differences with that. So that matches our little theory that as you do fasted cardio, we do see an upregulation of the body's ability to use fat 
as a fuel. So proponents of faster cardio would say that acutely you're burning more fat and that's going to be a beneficial effect. So the first part of that statement appears to be true. When you fast, you are having lower levels of insulin and that does predispose you at lower to moderate intensity exercise to use more fat as a fuel. So coming up uh, tomorrow, actually, I'm going to dive a little bit more into this and look at the question of how much fat are people using at rest? Is it really all the same, which most textbooks would have you believe that fat use just scales up with intensity up to a point? As you can probably figure out, it's not quite that simple. So we'll give you some more data on that. If you enjoyed this podcast, uh, thank you very much to everyone who's provided reviews already. Really, really appreciate that. Uh, that was super awesome to see it. Uh, if you have any feedback, by all means, hit me up. And if you want more information on these concepts, check out the Flex Diet Cert. Uh, it is at flexdiet.com, F-L-E-X-D-I-E-T.com. I run down through eight different interventions about what to do if you're a trainer or high-end fitness enthusiast related to nutrition and recovery. This is based on the theory of metabolic flexibility and kind of flexible dieting. And go to flexdiet.com. You can get on the wait list. We've got some cool gifts for you there. And we will talk to you tomorrow. Well, they say all good things come to an end. What's that got to do with this show? <laughs>